This week is with film composer Jay Wadley. He's also a, a musician, and it's cool to talk about how he went through that transition from um, just playing music to learning how much he loved to compose, and then how that led into composing for visuals with film and TV. He's had a great start to a young career so far, with uh, notable things being having done the score for the movie Indignation, which is just beautiful. And if you go to his website, uh, jwadley.net, you can hear that score, and it's, it's, it's awesome. Great to do work, too. And uh, he also has done uh, episodes three and six of the Netflix show The OA, and he's done work with uh, Rufus Wainwright as well. So it's, it's really great to talk to a film composer, someone who's making scores. It's something that uh, this is a first for the podcast, and it's nice to talk to another department within filmmaking and just to hear about how that process is, and especially scores in particular, because it is, and we talk about it in the in the episode, that it is contributing, but it's contributing by making something totally new that then gets added on. You know, even from a cinematography standpoint, you are given a script from the director, and you go and you turn those into visuals, but it's still, there's something concrete that you're handed, whereas, you know, he, you're just making music that is supplemental. Um, so that's just a unique part of the craft of filmmaking that is kind of just within that realm because even stuff, you know, hair, makeup, costumes, art design, that's all coming from the script for the most part. And this is kind of separate and that's, that's really cool and I think it makes for an interesting relationship that film composers have to directors and to projects that they're on and we talk about that. And also, super interesting, I didn't know this until I started doing research on him. But he is also doing the score for the project that Shal and I shot in Vietnam that we spoke about in uh, an episode from a few weeks back, which is uh, which is great. So it's I, I'm excited that um, we're actually working on the same project, if not together, then uh, by proxy, and that's exciting and also uh, an indication of how small this world is. And um, the the conversation itself, talking on a bigger macro scale, it's it's really always refreshing to talk to someone who by all measures is doing great and is off to a hell of a career and to hear them talk about their fear of failure and what keeps them up at night and how they are trying their best to use that as fuel to the fire. Um, it's nice that even the people who seem like they have it all together on paper, and by all means Jay does, that we're all still dealing with these same mental hurdles uh, that is creating stuff. And I just appreciated having being able to have that conversation with him and his uh, willingness to share it and, and be so open about it. So really just um, a cool conversation and a, and a new one to the podcast talking about film scores and uh, music composition. Just some housekeeping. If you can like and comment on iTunes, that will help spread the uh, conversation and the show further. We're on all social media channels at AVC Pod. That's our handle. And for any inquiries, questions, or uh, guest ideas, you can email uh, this show's producer, Courtney Ryan, at Courtney at AVCPod.com. So, Jay Wadley, film composer, as always, thanks for being here. I like talking about things that you're currently working on to start. Something like The Last Fisherman, it's interesting to be sitting with the composer because I I wonder, especially in this early on in the process, where do you, how do you even begin to think about how to make something sound and how to make a score like that? Where, where's your head at now for The Last Fisherman? Well, I'm, I'm just now getting started, like, you know, getting a sense of the visuals. I mean, for me, it's like, uh, I guess... 
I try to get a sense of, of the tone and space and production style and just overall feel and vibe. And it's a very organic sort of intuitive process. Um, you know, I mean, my background's classical music, so I generally come at it with that type of uh, an ear and approach. But, you know, I've also done 80s electronic music and everything like that. So, you know, pop music, whatever, you know, so yeah. it's like drawing from those different things i just try to find a palette that seems to work um in some type of cohesive or um sort of counterpoint even to a film so just like figuring out what i think will make a good you know pairing with mm -hmm. what's already already there because i i very much know that you know scoring for visual media it's all it's all about supporting yeah. the elements and the narrative and and the visuals that are already in place in someone else's vision to a degree. And I actually really enjoy that part of it is like being a supportive. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking when like preparing for to sit down with you that there must be in certain aspects, correlations in terms of like the type of prep that I would go through as a cinematographer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the idea that I, that I work off of references mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how something like this was done in the past and what that did and how that make me feel and what did I like about that, what, what I didn't, right. you know? Because for me at least, I guess, you know, the instruments might be the tools and, and what camera or what mm -hmm. lenses, what filters. Because I was wondering, you know, where do you even go when you first start thinking about instrumentation? Right. And how does that come to well, you? Well, sometimes it, like it, you know, sometimes a single instrument will actually be the inspiration for the the entire sound of of a film you know so it can i feel like it can really come from any aspect of it it doesn't have to start with like um a more specific affect that the score is going to have like there could be a specific melody that i hear in a violin and that transforms into something that includes tons of electronics you know but that like the core of the violin is what led me to that you know what i mean so it, it's it's a, somewhat non-linear well yeah I, and <laughs> yeah. that makes me think it's interesting because it's it's running along it's you're writing something fresh that's running alongside what from my perspective i'm handed a script that it's like okay make visuals out of that mm -hmm. and that's a bit more concrete like right you're you're making a complementary piece of art yeah. in a sense yeah but I, you know for, for me it's about digesting the um digesting the narrative and digesting the visual aesthetic in a way that i can let this organic thing flow from that so it's it's really about like letting all of those elements sink in and then for me, you know, even when I'm given temp music, which oftentimes I'm getting given, you know, temp scores to and whether it's an ad or whether it's a film or whatever. Yeah, so you, know, you get, you get, you get references as well. Yeah, all yeah. the time. Yeah. But I generally will make a playlist of my own um, just after watching it and watching it down without temp music. I'll make a playlist of my own of things that may just have like a certain texture to it or a certain um, production style or whatever that'll just like kind of creating uh, an audio mood board if you will that then allows me to draw from those different elements and and hopefully you know come up with something that's unique and specific to that film because yeah. I kind of um, uh, kind of stream of consciousness pull from all of these different elements well yeah and combine that because <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to me as someone who doesn't do that the way in which the writing happens, you know, the, mm. where going from having all of these external ideas that are kind of floating and all of a sudden that actually becomes written notes yeah. 
that is a sequence of a, a melody or what have you. Right. Like that seems like a big leap to me, especially when it's composing among with, for so many instruments. Yeah. It seems like such a... But you start with the core elements. You start yeah. with melody, you start with harmony, you start with like tempo and, and rhythm and like, you know, you don't have You're to... just whittling away. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, sometimes you do start with orchestration at like a macro level, but most of the time it's, you know, you're you're at the piano and you're finding out what your sound palette is, whether it's chords or, or some type of melodic line that becomes the cell that everything grows out of. You know what I mean? So... Once you find that, uh, you know, for, to give maybe some more specific references, yeah. um, when I worked on Indignation. Um, I was listening to that earlier. It's beautiful stuff. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I mean, that was kind of like a dream project for me because it was, one, very much within my wheelhouse for my classical training and everything yeah. that I um, studied for, for many years. Um, but it also, you know, I got to dive into like those very, very simple piano melodies, simple violin melodies, and everything was orchestrated out of that. But, you know, there was at one point, like in the middle of the film, we had scored a bunch of stuff and even like up to the end scored a lot. But there was this one point in the center that um, we were working on and it was a very integral uh, theme that we needed. Um, And as that finally like piece came together, Mm. sort of everything else around it started to make sense. And from that, like we ended up using that as the, uh, like main thing in the opening of the film so we scrapped what was there before you know so it's kind of it doesn't happen linear and it's a lot of experimentation you'll throw away a lot of stuff yeah and then then you know once you have those core elements those core melodic things then i just start embedding those melodies everywhere it's interesting because that ends up sounding that's a lot like making a film in general mm. i mean shall and i went through that exact experience while on set and i guess i'm mm. not that doesn't surprise me you know, because there's at a certain point, um, making something that large obviously needs to come together or would come together in similar ways, regardless of the medium. Mm. I'm not I'm not surprised yeah. by that. Um, going back, like starting off, was it that you wanted to be a musician in general? Um, yeah, I mean, not until high school did I feel like it was something I was going to do professionally. But uh, what was your first you know, instrument? I I played like piano and I was a singer as a kid and then I was in a punk rock band playing drums and then I was in show choir and choir in high school yeah, and yeah. still in a punk rock band but wearing sequins and dancing on the other hand so it was, it was very odd <laughs> an high school experience <laughs> but very much like standard playing yeah. music yeah there wasn't playing music. it wasn't yeah. that you were like a movie nut um yeah I mean I I liked movies but uh actually I think. I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a film composer or anything in in that way. Although I was like, you know, super influenced by Hans Zimmer's scores and stuff like that. Like Gladiator, I was like huge, you know. And then The Red Violin by John Corleano, I was was just blown away by. But, um, you know, I, during high school, I started writing choral music uh, for my choir. And I wrote a piece that was performed in my senior or junior school talent show or whatever yeah, and yeah. i just got such a crazy reception to it and i was so addicted to it from that moment on it what just was like, addicting about it um well i had i just like worked so hard on this thing that like i've never really like dove into anything like that you know in my entire life i'd never spent that much time just trying to like problem solve and figure something out you know i'd never written a choral piece before so um so I wrote this piece and like got all my friends together to sing it that were in the choir, got like 60 people or so and like ran rehearsals, played piano, conducted the thing and then like performed it. 
and everyone so was really, really gratifying. Ex- yeah, really gratifying. And then on top of that, I was lucky enough that it didn't suck entirely. <laughs> so people, <laughs> be, <laughs> good <you> indication <laughs> that you should uh, keep going. You know, so people people seem to be really excited by that as well. Um, and pretty much the moment I walked off stage off the first performance, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a composer, not really knowing exactly what that would entail or what type of life that would be. Um, what did it mean I, to you then? Um, well, I thought, okay, well, I guess I have to go to college for music composition and study that. Um, I was still at this time thinking I would do vocal stuff as well. So like music theater slash vocal performance, which I quit about halfway through college and just focused on the composition stuff. Cause that was what I found myself really wanting to spend my time on. Why? Um, I think that there was a certain instability in the performance aspect of it. From a career perspective? From a career perspective, but also super vulnerable, like super, super vulnerable being up there, Um, which I honestly now, like later, I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of miss that to some degree. Mm. Not entirely, but I did enjoy kind of being behind the scenes and putting something together and then like other people doing it, um, performing it or, you know, um, it ending up being a product that was kind of outside of myself. Yeah. Um, so I thought I was going to just like go to grad school and get a PhD and teach because I was like, okay, well, that's the practical way. It was always like thinking about it in, in practical means as well. Yeah. And there that's wasn't, something that's... There wasn't like... You weren't envisioning, at least right now, like the career that you've had? I didn't know it was possible. Mm. I didn't really have the confidence either to think that I was going to be lucky enough really? that it would Well, if that. if that was the case when you got out, how did you not get in the way of yourself? I mean, I after college I, I ended up one, I guess one thing that did transform me. I had a great undergrad uh professor who like Huge. You know, really believed Support in me. Support like that is just, so huge. And did give me a sense of confidence. And he brought in some really great composers from around the U.S. to do workshops and stuff. And they seemed to react. You know, every time people react positively to my music, I'm, like, relatively surprised. And and that's still, still like, still? to this day. I'm kind of like, you know, it, it's, it's nice, nice to not, hear. not to lose that. Yeah, because it's, like, this outside validation. And I can get really excited about it. And I can think it's, like, the greatest thing ever. But every time I put it in front of somebody then I hear every flaw. Oh, sure. Every single flaw in it. And I'm like, oh man, I got to change this whole thing. Oh, yeah. You know? And so it, it, that's the super vulnerable part of it. Maybe that I was trying to avoid by not being in theater or something. Mm-hmm. Like that, making mistakes. I understand but, that. Going um, to screenings is, yeah. is, is not all fun. No. Yeah. It's, it is tough. So he, he gave me, instilled a lot of confidence in me for sure. Um, and then I applied to grad schools and uh, I applied to like eight grad schools and I ended up getting into Yale for grad school for classical composition. And how, that many, how many people a year did, does that take? Five. I was going to say yeah. it must not be very big. No, it's, yeah, it's pretty small. Hyper competitive so. as well. Yeah, super yeah. competitive. And like there's several. That's a good indication. Of, yeah. <laughs> so, that was good. so I like sent my portfolio there and, and I went and met with, um, got invited for an interview and you go through this interview process where you, you know, kind of have to like juggle 10 things or something in front of the professors. They just ask you a bunch of history questions and theory questions and make you play stuff oh, on it's the like, piano. It's like getting hired at Google. <laughs> they, except like, what is it about the uh, pothole or something? I, yeah. <laughs> like, just the, the insanity of, yeah. of the interview. 
Yes. Um, so it is intense. Um, it's a bit of an intense process. And so I'm, that was a transformative experience. Yeah. Like How I walked out of there mind? not failing it entirely. <laughs> and they were, they were like excited about the music that I had played for them and the score. And oh, I don't mean the interview. I mean going. Oh, being oh, Yale. going. Oh man. Yeah. No, that was like, I mean, my entire world opened up the type of friends that I had there, the type of things that we talked about, the type of art that was being made the other composers that were there one of whom is currently my business partner right in this company so like that that it just like completely changed my my outlook on life and art in general i think um but at the same time i was always like okay practical you know all right do i need to go on from this and get a phd and teach you know what do i how do i make ends meet because there's something about the classical music world and especially as a composer where the actual finances of it are complete one they're not talked about generally ever yeah like it, it, they're never taught oh in same school. same in in our field yeah it's the whole i mean it's kind of the impetus for uh this to a degree yeah it's and it, and it's crazy and it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like either people have like these donors who are like funding their their lives because yeah, composing is kind of enters like, the realm of fine art slightly in, yeah. in terms of that oh, in terms of that type of comp, um, compensation. A, yeah, it's exactly that. It's like you know maybe there are people who fund you because they believe in your music or maybe you are lucky and you win some awards and that pays you a little bit and then from that you get a bunch of commissions and you're constantly writing but the economics of classical music has always been uh, like this mystery to me was it how do you view you're viewing that as a reality and mm-hmm. you stick with classical music for any way where did the gumption to do that come from well i mean i did see some realities of, well i did kind of you know, I, st- I stuck with it to some degree, but I also departed from it by working into, you know, things that at least were somewhat more transparent with how, like, how you could maybe build a, a business or a career um, as a musician, uh, you know, because I saw people were paying money for licenses and people were paying composers for film and for television. And, and I got lucky enough right out of grad school to work under another composer who was out in L.A. Yeah. And I was in New Haven still teaching like one day a week in the undergrad. And so I was an additional music composer on a Fox show and I like got firsthand experience like completely thrown into the deep end where, you know, doing an hour long drama per week. And was that the first time doing stuff like visually synced? Yep. That was my first job ever doing that. And what was that experience? That must have been a mind bending thing especially after doing for the entirety of your life never doing that yeah i mean it was something that i had been thinking about and i'd kind of like played around with but never done on any sort of professional level yeah um or in any sort of capacity where like some larger audience would have seen it um but again i got really lucky and the guy who was out in la i demoed for him and i sent him some stuff and you know the difference in being a classical composer versus a film composer as a film composer, you're also recording and producing all of the recording and everything and syncing it to picture and making sure, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of technical elements. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it's recording or whether it's producing stuff that's in the box, like, so samples, things like producing an orchestra when you don't have a budget for an orchestra, but you're just using your computer to do that. Those were things that I had to learn on the fly, like super, super quickly. Um, And And you uh, enjoyed it. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Well, what was it so about I, it that you liked so much? Um, I think one, it was I was turning around a lot of music every week. 
Hmm. Um, in contrast to classical music, generally that's much longer. Like you'll work on a piece for months and months and then maybe like it's actually been written for the next season. So you hear it next year or like four years down the road if it's an opera or something like that. Right. You know, it was the immediacy of creating something, recording something, producing it, sending it out the door, yeah. and next week it's on TV on Wednesday at 7. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I could see that being like such a thrill. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And like, you know, I would have friends over and, and we'd watch the episode. Yeah, how awesome was that? It was great. And then like I would go right back to writing the next one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was it was this cyclical thing that was very intense, um, but super rewarding in that capacity. Did you like the style of music that was being that you had to write for that or was was it more like a job in that sense? Um no, it, it was exciting at the time. I think anything, you know, if it if it stops being challenging, can get a little bit boring mm. for me. But because um, I'm I'm constantly attracted to uh, working in things that are somewhat outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, and my my last like four films will definitely speak to that. <laughs> it's been every genre under the sun. Um, but uh, you know, I I enjoyed it, I, and I was kind of having to write in you know the other composer style, so I had to like listen that's a to fascinating stuff challenge as and, well, and adapt to that, which I think has served me well in my later work, but also in certainly in the advertising work that you know I yeah. do as well. It's like learning to um, absorb a, a style and dissect it. It's cool that you're open to that because I would imagine that especially classical music being so pure mm -hmm. in a sense where. I could see the type of kid that grew up wanting to play classical music viewing like making commercials as, I don't know, sell, selling out's a lame term, but like just being creatively stunted that you have to do that kind of thing in order to make a buck. It, it, it never, it, it wasn't about that. There was something I'm hearing, yeah, just the yeah. challenge of like working with other people and all of that being yeah. the exciting thing. Yeah, it was a mix of all of it though, I think. Like it, it was, you know, both a, a necessity and also why not? I didn't have any, yeah. I didn't have any feelings that it was somehow less. If anything, I was like, well, maybe I can bring something new to it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, f coming from a classical background. So maybe I can m make something out of that. You know, I don't know how many at the time, you know, how many people were coming straight out of a classical training and going into working in advertising or. Oh, it's got to have been helpful. Yeah. Without, yeah, was, how could great. it not? And like, that's kind of what we became known for and it worked out you know and trevor worked for philip glass for six years as a music assistant for him Unbelievable. that's kind of how we ended up getting Holy into advertising cow. to begin with so interesting um so while trevor was working for philip i was like orchestrating for rufus wainwright for a few years on his opera and song cycle and stuff like that um that was kind of how we were making ends meet and a little tv show assistant thing yeah well there. i was gonna say but, when you finished up the show mm. where did it where did it go and where were you trying to have it go and were well, those two did that align or um, well, I thought, so we got, the show got picked up for a second season and I sold everything I own, uh, <laughs> except for my studio and my bed. And I went traveling for a month with my sister in, in Europe. And I, I was like, oh, I'm going to come back to the States. I've got this, uh, you know, network TV show that I'm writing on. I'm moving to LA, get, a, get an apartment out there. You had everything figured out. I had it all figured out. How and old then, were you at this point? <laughs> uh, let's see. I graduated... My master, I, this is, I was like 25, 26, maybe. Cool. Um, yeah, is that right? 25. Yeah. Nice. 25. And uh, I thought, I thought that was it. And then, then they replaced the showrunner oh uh, on the show and Life comes everyone at you quick. in post, 
everyone in post and i find out i'm in europe oh god <laughs> like ce- celebrating having a great time yeah yeah uh. I'm, I'm like in europe just hanging out i'm like okay so i don't have a job <laughs> and i don't have an apartment and uh, or stuff well, how'd you so. how'd you handle that i mean was that, that must have been did it, it feel was, like a low point it was like it was disappointing but i also knew i knew i had work in new york mm. um and the company had already existed at that point i like trevor was full time with philip but i could pick up like copy oh, the company and already work. existed well how, how did that start then cuz i wanted to like inter- have yeah. that come into the story but I yeah. guess whenever it started. It started when we were in grad school. Our, oh, really? Our like, second year of our master's program. You already knew that you wanted entrepreneurial aspects to yeah. be a part of this. Yeah. Why was that? Well, practicality. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just trying to figure out. Like, you know, you come out of grad school with a master's degree in classical composition. It's uh, 2007, 2008 hits. Like, you know, like yep. there's so much that goes into that. And I, you know, I wasn't in a place where I could just go and, and move to New York and work on my art and not worry about it and then 10 years later I have a career in art you know that wasn't possible for me so I had to find out like okay how how am I going to navigate this and this is something that you know Trevor and I had talked about and we started working together it was kind of like the idea that like share contacts share opportunities share you know space like share like everything like just yeah. be a community what was the initial idea of what you guys were going to be doing Film and, uh, yeah, film and television, pretty much. Um, oh, so you knew that in grad school. Yeah, but it was, like, it was so loose. Yeah. It, 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 like, it was so loose. Um, we didn't know, exa- like, it's evolved so much mm-hmm. over the time because what we thought, you know, we were like, oh, film and television, and that's the way to go, you know, and over time you realize, okay, independent film, <laughs> that doesn't pay the bills either. However, that's the stuff that, you know, gets you onto other things and, like, you know, stuff that we're really passionate about. And and advertising sort of entered in as as Trevor was working with Philip. Uh, Philip was writing advertisements, and we saw his whole setup. It's like okay, Philip writes advertisements. Then he writes his operas. Yeah, you know, and then he he just does whatever he wants because he does these few advertisements and like, you know, licenses his stuff and has figured out. It almost gave you like company. permission. Yeah, seeing sure. him do it. Definitely. I mean, Philip has been like an entrepreneur and inventor from the beginning, you know, like with his doing shows and Soho lofts, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was driving cabs and, and he was a plumber when his opera Einstein on the Beach was at the Met. So it's like he was doing stuff. And <laughs> it, I'm not I don't I'm not driving cabs. But one thing it was it was like, OK, if we can just write music every day, produce music every day, that is a success of its own. So how can we do that? And. So then the advertising stuff started coming up and that became like, okay, that's the platform that we can base everything else around. Yeah. Um, well, it's the end. It's the, it's the fiscal engine. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, within, you know, a couple of years of, of getting into that, we were able to then have a, an actual studio, you know, which like if we were just doing independent, you know, smaller independent films or whatever, that wouldn't be a possibility. I mean, TV is another beast, but yeah. Um, well, was it, ha- it must've been harrowing in the beginning. At what point was there any specific moment where you finally felt that what you guys were doing with a music production company mm-hmm. that it started, was there a point where you're like, okay, this is actually going to last? Yeah. Yeah. Do I you mean, remember if, was there like a, an inflection point that that occurred at? Um, I mean, we had some early successes that like really just like some major projects hit, you know, that allowed us to to have a little bit more financial freedom, which gives you like a clarity of mind sure that does. you don't have when you're like struggling just to mm-hmm. to buy your coffee in the morning. So um, 
we had some early successes that allowed us to to take the risk to build this place and to start to build what is now found objects. Yeah. Which still took a lot of time and still like we ran through like you know, we ran through a lot of challenges. You know, we had a partner that we had disagreements with and and he left the company and and that was like a morale problem hmm. in general like brought us all down but we recovered so quickly from that and like that gave us this like determination that we were going to make it what we wanted to make it and it, at that point it kind of really really started happening do um, you th- do you think that did the ups and downs of that ever um, impact the creativity and like how'd you deal with that especially if your output needed to be so consistent because yeah. of all this work that was coming in well luckily at the time we weren't nearly as busy as we are now <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it, it was spread out and we were able to still do what we needed to do, but it is tough. It still is tough now because there's just so many projects happening and there's wins and there's a lot of losses, you know, so you're playing both sides of that. And then in the advertising space of it, you know, you you don't win the job until the job is pretty much on TV. (laughs) So, right. I guess it comes to you so late. You're like the last in the process. Yeah, and you're constantly in competition, so it's mm-hmm. like everyone's vying for that spot, and you really don't get paid until like it's literally done, mixed, and you know what I mean. And then and then they're like, okay, yeah, we're going with your track, <laughs> and then they pay you. You know what I mean? So it's like that is like one of the larger stressors I would say is like trying to win slash you know it's for always sure. in this competition. It's never like given to you, and you're given that space to really 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 sit with it At yeah because you're not you're not working owner. within the comfort of knowing this is a this is a thing that i'm doing for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always i'm not sure yeah <laughs> maybe <laughs> it'll come my way yeah. and uh, well yeah and that's got to be really that's got to be hard for that not to impact the yeah. work itself for sure for sure and like i'm constantly working on separating the production from the creative as as much as i can um you know because if i were just a composer in this company that would be one thing but i'm also an owner in the company so i'm constantly doing projections and like cash flow management stuff and we have outside management that handles like you know some some bigger like tax things and accounting and everything like that but i still do you're a wearing lot of many liquidity. hats yeah 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 it's and, a small and it business affect, operation it does affect like my ability to focus on creative so when i get a film i kind of have to take a step back from a lot of that and like pass a lot of the production elements off yeah so that i can like give myself the brain space because it, it really does cloud it up yeah no the, as, when as we're busy it clouds for, it up for the bigger projects <laughs> there needs to be an effort a concerted effort to wall yourself off like if you don't do that, it, those types of opportunities can yeah. suffer and you like you miss the mark in that regard. What was like yeah. the first really big moment for you, you think? Because obviously there's been some really nice accolades mm-hmm. and some really nice projects. What was the first one where you like the person that you were in college, the thing that you could hope you achieve in mm-hmm. your career? When was the first time you like, oh, I, I did something? And how, how did you process that? Um, I mean... I've been lucky that I've had lots of projects that are dear to me and like, you know, that I've really cared about and worked on up to that point. But I would definitely say that indignation was sort of the convergence of all things that I cared about in my life. Like I knew it was this opportunity for me to like really dive into the stuff that I care about, that I focused on, that, that I want to be doing more of. Um, How long ago did that start? Um, I got the script for that. I guess about two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when did it finally wrap and get shipped? Um, 
like November, December, like a year and a half ago. So it it, it premiered at uh, Sundance in 2016. Okay. Um, so it was like a six month process, but like I had worked with James on a couple shorts prior to that. Um, the director, James Seamus, and, and, uh, he gave me the shot. He didn't have to give me that shot. Like he could have gone with anyone, any other composer he wanted really. And like, we, we hit it off on his shorts that I worked on and he gave me the opportunity to like write a couple demos, um, to show Anthony Bregman, the producer and kind of, you know, get me in the door for that. And I did it and they were on board and what's going through your head. I mean, I, before you really started the work on it and you got the job. A lot of self-doubt. Yeah. Just, yeah, tons of it. Just like, oh my God, am Why? I going like, to totally screw this up? Because I, I think I'm going to screw, I think I'm going to get fired off of everything. <laughs> like, really? I, yeah. It's like, oh man, they're definitely going to fire me today. <laughs> why do you, why do you think that is? I don't, I don't know. I just like, I never had that. I never had that. Um, I never had like a super strong sense of inner confidence that, I don't know. Is that a it's strength like, in your work? I think it comes through as a strength in my work because I'm so hard on myself, but it also can be, it can slow me down and it, it slows me down and like makes me procrastinate in some ways because like I get to this breaking point, but then something happens. It's like, I, I'll, I'll like spin my wheels, I'll spin my wheels or whatever. And then the last 20%, <laughs> you know, is when I just like engage yeah. and shit just like happens. Everything starts coming together and like I'm flying through things. I don't know why that is the way it is. I'm sure there's healthier ways to do it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, because I'm, I'm curious, you know, I, I find it fascinating for different creatives, the stages where they are in love with their work and the, sta- and the stages where they hate it in the seesaw mm-hmm. back and forth. Because regardless of the self-doubt, yeah. There have to be moments where you're liking what you're oh, putting together. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I mean, most uh, like I definitely get these moments where I, I, I get this like really visceral high yeah. from something that I just wrote. You know what I mean? Um, and as I sit with it more and more, I pick it apart. I do all these things and I change it. You know what I mean? Like you live with it and you start to, I feel like sometimes you start to lose perspective just a little bit. And if you can take a step back. And I think one thing that like, was great about Indignation is that I since the process was slower and he brought me in when the script was written and I wrote some themes you got that and that opportunity to really take that time take that time feel like this is something you're working on and not exactly. not like you're fighting for it to the very end yeah the time crunch wasn't there that is often there and maybe I'm well suited for those things that I was are gonna say like it sounds like that because when you're saying 20% like the last 20 are you talking about like deadlines helping you in that regard yeah, deadlines. Yeah, de- deadlines definitely like help push me through things for sure. And I think I do perform well in those high pressure situations. I've somehow learned how not to sleep and like just go and work every weekend and like you know whatever. And which which now it's kind of like when I'm done with something, I have to train myself to get out of that. Otherwise, I like lose every sense of perspective in life because <laughs> I'm literally in you know this very room for weeks and months and like don't see other people except my girlfriend if I see my girlfriend. Right. You know? Yeah. So, um, but it's just cause I love what I, I love what I do and I want to work hard on it and I want to be the best I possibly can be. And I'm deathly afraid of failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's like a driving, that's like a really deep seated like thing that I think keeps me going. It's like, I don't want to fail. Have you? Yeah. You definitely. Failed forward. Yeah, I mean, I always learn from things, like, from yeah. my mistakes. And, like, you know, failures, failures is, is, I guess, relative. You know, what I consider my failures are, are just kind of, like, 
how smoothly a project went or how I, you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like it's a failure. It's probably not a major failure by any means. You know, I, I had some setbacks and indignation, like with like parts and scores or something like, you know, it's like things, things that don't really affect the bottom line of the creative export. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like nothing I did like didn't work. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, it like it worked really well. People seemed to like it, and and I really loved it, and I I felt proud of it at the end of it. You, know? <laughs> you should. <laughs> so, and, you absolutely should. But along the way, it's just it's this it's this, it's this yeah. whole roller coaster of self doubt, and but then like extreme elation, like when I reach some point of. It's a funny a thing because right? I put myself through that same kind of ringer and yeah. I and I wonder because you you tell yourself oh I need to get better at this but then there's a there's like that other voice in my head being like but if this all mellows out is the magic gone yeah and like that's an internal question yeah is the quality of the result tied to the amount of stress you have while making it <laughs> or like you know that struggle you know the like pushing against something I feel like I actually do work my best when I'm pushing against something. You know what I mean? Can you like, define what you're pushing against? Um, whether it's not my own expectations or whether it's uh, someone else's expectations or a deadline or something like that. But if I'm like, if I'm just out in the clear and open and like can do whatever I want, I'll just get lost in a sea of like possibilities that are daunting. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, limitation you know I mean? forges the creative path. Yeah. It, yeah. Ha- it has to exist. Yeah. I mean, and and I guess that's actually something that I was curious about. And maybe, I'm not sure, you just end up creating your own, you must create your own rules because it's like, if you're working from the seat of I'm going to orchestrate an entire thing, meaning every instrument Mm -hmm. and every possibility, I mean, when you're starting, the list of instruments is a mile long. Yeah, but fortunately in film, budget d- tends to mm. determine that. So yeah. it's like, you know. So it's, like, yeah, it's the same limitations that yeah. like a cinematographer is up against. Yeah. It's like, what, well, what budget do I have? You know, like right. it started out, indignation was going to be a, you know, piano and string quartet and just a f- handful of instruments in a small studio. And we were going to do it like that. And that was the way it was going to be. And then after doing some demos and getting through things, they came up and offered an additional budget that covered like a week with an orchestra and like i wrote a song with the director like a 1950s style love tune and like got an amazing so arranger and like did it in this beautiful hall and like they just went all out on it and you know i went into it thinking it was going to be the small you know small thing and then that opened up so i was thinking with these smaller things which probably helped at the initial stage thinking about like you know, melodies and how I was going to be able to tell this much larger story with limited means. Um, and then it became, <laughs> and then it became an orchestra, which was great, you know, which was super exciting. It must have been so that, much fun. Oh, it was incredible. One of the best experiences of my life. And in fact, that writing that song was like... The 1950s song? Yeah. It's called Is It Love? And that was the stuff I was interested in singing in, in college. Oh, interesting. Um, Was like, you know, standards, Tony Bennett and, and Frank Sinatra and... And uh, when James asked if I'd be interested in doing that for like this car ride scene, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Of course, that'd be amazing. And so he had these. A lot like, of versatility. Uh, what do you mean? You're with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I Is that have common? a lot of interest. I'm not, I'm not I familiar. Know. I mean, because it, it seems uh, much to your advantage. Like I would imagine that some people, like other people that would be hired to make the majority of that score, mm. you know, it's very different from this 1950s standard, right? Yeah. That. They might not be the same. They might have needed to tap someone else to do that song. The fact that you were doing both is kind of 
yeah. um, a credit to the versatility of your background. Yeah, but also, you know, a little serendipitous that it was that type of stuff that True. I had sung all through college and, and uh, had in my voice. So I could never have done the orchestration the way that the orchestration was done. And that's why I hired the, the best guy I could possibly find who teaches jazz arranging and orchestration at Juilliard. So, But I wrote the tune and I wrote like the chords and then I went into the studio and recorded with a trio, like an amazing, like, you know, the budget allowed for that. And I put the chart in front of them and they like flesh it out. And then I give that and my chart to the arranger. And he's like, do you want it to sound more 1951 or 1952? you know get out of like, here <laughs> like that's really like, yeah, yeah yeah wow and he's like and uh all right we need these mics and this is how we're gonna do the mic placement we're gonna do it every everyone if you want it to sound legit we have to do it all in the room at the same time the vocalist has to be in the room at the same time so all of that is like one take with everybody in the you room you were kidding the candy store when all that was happening. oh man and like we all as soon as like they were rehearsing and my engineer dan was just kind of like eqing um a bunch of different instruments getting the mic placement right and you know so we're just kind of hearing one thing at a time and they were just playing through different aspects of it and then they started running the song and we could kind of hear it but then when he opened up the whole spectrum of all the instruments the control room just erupted yeah and like laughter and tears and like it, it was the end of the week. It was the last day on like the, the recording session. And we were just all just overjoyed, just overcome with emotion of like the whole process. Those of are the best moments, man. And it was just like, yeah, man, yeah, that, that gave me the high to continue to do this for a while. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, like, because with the success of it, you know, what, yeah. what were there opportunities presenting themselves specifically out of the success of this? Yeah, for sure. And yeah. like, how are you, how are you navigating that? Um, I mean, you know, I, at the time I didn't have an agent, so I wasn't sure if I needed one yet. Um, but how did I, you make that determination? Um, well, I guess I was thinking, you know, I would, I would wait a little while, so I didn't get one immediately. There were people who had reached out to me prior to it even coming out and wanted to talk about signing. And I was like, too soon, too soon. <laughs> like I wanted to, I wanted to get it out in the world and like get some feedback on it and see what my options were at that point, you know? So um, I took it slow. I hired a really great PR team for Sundance, which uh, like people started re reaching out about that. Some people do it. Some people don't. Some people have a good experience with it. I just, I think I lucked out because the film did really well. My PR guys are awesome. And uh, so they went with me to Berlin and I got to meet a lot of different people. At Berlin Film Fest. At Berlin Film Festival after Sundance. And, you know, where I ended up meeting someone who recommended me on the next film that I ended up doing that next very next summer so um, which was what uh it's called double play it's um Ernest Dickerson uh who used to be like the DP for Spike Lee uh so he like shot Malcolm X and yeah. did the right thing so it was his film that he shot down in Curacao uh which opposite end of the spectrum as far as music is concerned um he wanted like all Afro-Cuban stuff mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's Curacao it's Curacao. So <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> which they came to me because they wanted it to be feature the Kora, which is like a West African harp. And I had already done a film based in Senegal that was all like oh, Kora cool. music. Cool. And I was going to say, where's the, <laughs> where was the correlation? There it goes though. And yeah. I guess you were, and you were excited at, at the absolute 180 degree turn on it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was stoked about it, but I was also like, okay, how the hell am I going to do this at this level? You know, because it was a very different level of budget of film than the one. Meaning smaller. No, no, no. I mean, so the Senegal film uh, was super small budget. Right. It was like like no budget. 
Oh, I see. And then this one was a much, lar- much, much larger budget. But I didn't know what my budget was going to be. You know, that doesn't necessarily always. Yeah, it might not get allocated that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I knew in order for me to do it properly, I'd need to like have a pretty much what I got at the end of it for indignation. You know, yeah. Because like I needed to be able to experiment with the choral player in in the room, and so we ended up working it out so that I could have the percussionist here, I could have the choral player here, and I was just experimenting in the room with them, recording stuff and just like mixing it on the fly. You think that they, that they gave you, that you had that kind of um, pull because of the success of Indignation and yeah. it kind of set up it, the credibility that if you're given those assets, you'll 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 handle yeah. them? Yeah. That's yeah, great. It, pr- it proved the concept, but I also, I also came to it, I was like, here's my approach to it. If you want straight Afro-Cuban, like... I may not be the guy, but I can do this like interesting, you know, where where that might meet classical stuff and a tr- more traditional score, and I can fuse those. And you didn't together. feel daunted by the fact, or maybe if you did, you, you you went along with it anyway. I went along with it. I mean, you know, it it was just a challenge to overcome, and everything about composition is just creative problems. All it's interesting because there's a there's a duality, I think with you in that you know for someone that is worried about like failing all the time like you're you're like well that that doesn't seem like something that i would do but that sounds interesting so let's try and like at the same time like a fear of failure like how does that how does that work itself out uh well i guess it manifests in a fair amount of anxiety from time to time but uh um but besides that i mean that that fear fear of failure is what makes me push through and it doesn't stop you that's for sure it doesn't because you're saying yes to something like that yeah 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 like if i'm not like i don't know how the hell i'm gonna get this done then it may not get me excited enough right (laughs) true to like do it you know yeah um and yeah i just love those challenges and they get they get me excited and like the newness of it gets me excited but i'm also like i do take a fair amount of things that are then like again within my comfort zone and i can be really me like as I don't know, I want to say really me because I, I feel like that score turned out very much me. It's just me when I'm doing that. Wheelhouse. Yeah. 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 It's like the things that I've done the most often and are the most comfortable yeah, with. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Got to take a few of those just so that I don't oh, have a sure. heart attack. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. No, we're we're talking about the highlights here. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be talking about every every single thing, and we'd be here for twenty hours. No, no, that's cool. And then like something like you know the OA comes along. And I mean, at that point, you. I guess when, when you were contacted for something like that, it's impossible to know that what's going to be a big hit and what's going to enter the zeitgeist, really, yeah. which I yeah, think yeah. the OA did. Yeah. Um, but still, either in the moment or in hindsight, you know, I guess you're at a point now where there's a consistency to the level of work. And that just, that must feel great like are you reflecting on that often or is it something that you know once every once in a while because you're just too busy (laughs) probably every once in a while because i'm a little busy yeah Uh, like i i I have a hard time sitting still for too long Mm. which i'm trying to learn how to chill out a little bit i'm gonna go on vacation in like that'll be good weeks it's gonna be great (laughs) uh but yeah it's like i i need to like stop and smell the roses from time to time I had a great experience on that. I mean, that was super exciting, but I kind of, I did kind of just go straight out of, out of double play right into that. Really? Um, Yeah. um, But I was super excited and it like came up really quick and I kind of came on in the middle um, of things. So I was only on two episodes. Gotcha. um, It came about because the editor on it dated the 
lead in indignation, and he really liked the score. So <laughs> yeah, he, he like put it in it's front. It's nice of to know that it, at, at any at any level of production, things yeah. are still done in that way. Yeah, yeah, it's like people who mm-hmm. like other people's work, and I think that's one thing I'm trying to get a little bit better at is like being a little more proactive at reaching out and attacking projects that I'm interested in, not just picking the things. That come your that way. come my way uh. and like taking them or not taking them. Yeah. Well, because I was going to say, what what is the focus now? Because I would imagine there also needs to be not like reflection just to be like, I'm doing great stuff. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But more like, you know, okay, if if a certain amount of projects I can get now, like what do I want? Yeah. Because it, it enters into that realm. It's like I've, yeah. I've once you've gotten to a certain place and how are you assessing what that is? Um... Well, I guess I guess I just now I'm I'm definitely paying a lot more attention to what is being put out mm. there in the world since I'm going to a lot more film festivals and trying to keep up with the production companies that are putting out those films and and the style that they have and the things that I'm kind of really interested in doing and the OA is definitely, you know, one of those. Um and I feel very lucky that I just like, you know, happened upon it. Yeah. Um and uh I think there you know, there's there's I don't know that there's like one thing that I'm going to be able to say, oh, okay, well, this is kind of what I want to do from now on. But I find people that I like collaborating with who make good work. I tend to spend so much time in the studio that most of the people that I collaborate with are also my friends. <laughs> like becomes this like community of things, you know? Um, yeah. So, you know, James and I met through working together and now he's, or James Burns, um, uh, through working together. And now he's like one of my, closest buddies and i just love everything he does yeah you know, he has such an interesting perspective on life and and um and how he chooses to spend his time and focusing on others and like giving back to other people yeah in a way by putting them in the spotlight and i feel like i want to be a part of that as well because i think he's doing good you know what i mean like mm-hmm. But it's also beautiful. Everything he does is gorgeous. So well, yeah. And, but you're and, you're at a point where you're being yeah. able to choose. You're you're you can make choices based on that stuff. Yeah. Instead of I don't know. Yeah. Not having the flexibility and kind of needing to say yes to anything. Yeah. Now I'm like just trying to find stuff that gets me really excited and that I can get really passionate about, regardless of of where it ends up. Or yeah. And you spoke about collaboration. I was curious. I wanted to ask towards the end. You know what what does make for good collaboration between a director and a composer and what are things that they can do that you really like and what are things they do that might make it harder for you? The things that I really like, I love, I, I like feedback and I like a dialogue and I like a director who comes with a sense of sound or a sense of an idea of, of what they want, um, a relatively formed one, even if at some point in time we completely depart from it because like, you know, I've I've thrown away temp scores uh, entirely and started from scratch, but not because they were bad, but they informed a sense of structure and a sense of vibe and everything else. And then I'm going to come to it completely fresh with a new sound. Um, some composers don't like temp scores at all. I don't mind them. It gives me, um, you know, somewhat of an idea of what the director is thinking. Uh, I like directors who, yeah, give give feedback. If they're silent and they're like, not, and they're just kind of like, that's good. I like it. You know, I'm kind of like, but what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know, there, I I always feel like there maybe there should be a but. I don't know because like uh, I like them to challenge me and challenge my reasoning for doing what I did. 
yeah, make you stand up for it, or if yeah. you can't realize what needs to change, exactly, mm-hmm. and why it's not working. Yeah, and like uh, James Seamus was really great about you know testing me and and like you know being being very specific about he wanted about what he wanted about like the types of. Uh, thematic development and content that he wanted and and if it wasn't there he didn't want filler you know he like where's the theme what what are we doing here and why are we doing it why is this cue here if it if it doesn't need to be here then we need to throw it out he hates like scores that are just painted with a broad brush it's interesting like yeah it's funny the the same arguments are made in cinematography in terms of like is that motivated and is it not and are we just doing it because it looks pretty because that that's that's cool but it doesn't belong here exactly yeah exactly and so, you know, you end up killing some babies, but uh, it's a necessary process. And, and I don't, ultimately, I'm happy as long as it's the best product that can actually be when it's finished. It's the best thing it can be, you know. Um, and I'll sacrifice my own ego, my own things if I, you know, if I have to. If they're not right, they're not right. I'm there to serve the film, you yeah. know. And I like directors that are in line with that. But also, no, it's the ultimate collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, that's collaboration uh, defined. Yeah, but like getting into the specifics, like telling me that there needs to be a C major chord there is is not helpful. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, like no, that's, that's, that's not really. We, <laughs> let's let's talk about the arc. I mean, really, it's just like about, it's about narrative and being on the same wavelength with what the goal of the film is. Yeah, what the goal of every moment and and motivation behind that is because like I'm I should be there to either just like entirely stay out of the way or maybe lend something or color something in a way that brings to light some emotion beneath it that wouldn't have been apparent without it. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. it's got to be subtle and it's got to, you know, make itself not too known. You can on, on occasion, but most of the time you want to yeah, man. just be there coloring things. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been great to hear your whole the background and also how you work it's uh it's super cool you're the, the first music composer that i've spoken to on the All podcast right. yeah so cool. there was a lot of things that i was just so curious about and also super cool that you're doing the last fisherman yeah and like I'm i stoked. can't wait i can't <laughs> wait to hear what you what you do with it yeah i'm gonna gotta get my playlist going there you go <laughs> well thanks so much man really appreciate well, it yeah thank you for having me this has been great Bye.